This is Charlottesville Tomorrow. Charlottesville Tomorrow is a nonprofit organization engaging the public on critical quality of life issues so we make informed choices for our community's future. Visit us on the web at seavilletomorrow.org. On November 7, 2017, voters in the city of Charlottesville go to the polls to elect their representatives to two seats on the Charlottesville City Council. This recording is Mike Reingold's October 9, 2017 interview with Democratic candidate Heather Hill. Other candidates in this race include Independent John Edward Hall, Independent Kenneth Wayne Jackson, Democrat Amy Lawfer, Independent Paul Long, and Independent candidate Nakia Walker. Ms. Hill, thank you for participating in this interview with Charlottesville Tomorrow. Uh, the complete audio recording and written transcript for this interview will be available online. Information from this interview will be used in the compilation of the Nonpartisan Voter Guide being produced by Charlottesville Tomorrow. Charlottesville Tomorrow does not endorse any candidates, and our goal is to provide information to the public so that they can make an informed vote on issues primarily related to land use, transportation, public education, and community design. As you are aware, the first two questions you will be asked have been provided in advance. For the others, you have been provided only the topic in advance. All City Council candidates will be asked the same questions. We ask that you keep these questions confidential until all candidates have been interviewed. Each candidate will be provided an opportunity to review the excerpt selected for the voter guide before its publication. Are you ready to start? I believe I am. Question one. Please describe your past experience that it qualifies you to be on the Charlottesville City Council. I'd like to respond to that um, through multiple perspectives. Um, as an active community member, a professional, and most recently as a candidate, my children have reinforced my belief that we are all responsible for shaping their world. I have put personal stake into this community by working with groups like Shelter for Help in Emergency, where I served as marketing chair for the Charlottesville Design House from its inception through two annual events, Last year, I served on, on this board, of Charlottesville Tomorrow's board, and strongly agree that informed citizens do create better communities. I'm an engaged volunteer parent in my children's schools. I actively participate in the Burnley Moran PTO and serve as the International School of Charlottesville's Building Committee Chair, while the school looks to meet the growing demand of immersion language in our community. I've also taken on personal projects, including my ongoing pursuit of a rail-to-trail conversion that will connect the growing northern trails of our city and county to the center along West Main. In 2003, I joined the board of the North Downtown Residents Association, and after multiple leadership positions, I now serve as its president. With the support of my board, I led the effort working with the city on upgrades to the playground at McGuffey Park to better serve the smallest of citizens, as visitors come from afar beyond the downtown neighborhood for outdoor play. I also represent our neighborhood in the Belmont Bridge Steering Committee. These roles have engaged me not only with neighbors I represent, but with citizen leaders throughout our community, as well as our city staff and leadership. It's this exposure that has provided me with many insights as to how our city operates and is managed. But next, as a professional, I would say I also have something to bring. I earned an undergraduate degree in industrial and systems engineering and a master's in business from the UVA's Darden School. This education has trained me to look at issues as part of a system and not individual silos to solve the issues in collaboration with people who bring diverse, diverse points of view and represent a variety of stakeholders. In my work life, I've led the development and implementation of systems across multiple industries. These have resulted in significant cost savings and efficiencies, 
that then could be reinvested in those businesses. And I really believe that if we could take those type of opportunities and apply them to Charlottesville as a city to enable more services and support to local residents, I really want to collaborate with the talented resources that I believe and I have met um, so, so we can work within our region to have a city that is more responsive to our needs that our community values. It's more efficient in how it uses those resources and establishes clear priorities, but most importantly, getting things done. Um, it's a lot to talk about all the things that we have, but it's another thing to actually take action. And when I reflect on all these professional and personal experiences, I am most energized by those which touch our community and have given me this opportunity to make so many meaningful connections with people and engaged citizens throughout our community. That brings me to my most recent perspective, and that is that of a candidate. This has been a very new process for me, um, but in February when I launched my campaign, I committed to listening. Since that time, I have walked every street in our city myself. Not every door knocked by my campaign leading up to the primary was done by me to hear firsthand the concerns and priorities among those I hope to serve. What no one should forget that it's, this, it's the priorities of our community that really matter, not the elected officials or its leaders. The hours I have personally spent sitting in living rooms and on porches, listening to personal stories, taking notes, has inspired and energized me. And it's an approach I plan to continue throughout my time in office if I'm elected. Question two, what is your top priority for action by the city council if you are elected? A top priority of mine is building trust among members of council, but also among council, staff, and the community that we serve. Currently, council is not viewed as a collaborative body that is addressing the needs of our community, but more as a set of individuals pursuing their own agendas. It's going to take us truly acting as one body to most effectively and efficiently communicate with and meet the needs of our community. And to act as a cohesive body, we must build strong relationships based on trust and respect. As leaders, we need to work together to foster a culture of city responsiveness and accountability. This, along with greater transparency in government, has been a pillar of my campaign. People are looking for answers and actions, not empty statements. We must also establish some expectations and formalize internal procedures for how we are going to work together to best serve Charlottesville. When we look more broadly among council and staff in the broader community, council and our city management continue to fall short on providing clear, consistent communications to our community. Everything that came from the, from the city during in the wake of August 12th was reactive and not proactive. As a neighborhood leader, I know how many emails get sent to city leadership and end up in the abyss. When we move from normal times to post-August 12th, this lack of responsiveness and connectedness gave city leadership very little to stand on. I believe it's imperative for those who want to serve our community to remain responsive and connected to the people that they serve. In reality, however, we do not have reliable and consistent conduits for input and communications among council, staff, and the broader community. Council is managing a tremendous amount of information and inquiries while staff is getting direction from too many sources, in my opinion. In turn, there's little responsiveness or accountability, which leaves little to get done. We need to invest in the appropriate systems to establish efficient processes that will allow both council and staff to field a broader range of issues, even if they are at high volume. And we need to have them do those inquiries without having the burden administratively. And right now, I just don't feel like our systems are, are in place that allow them to do that. But most importantly, we need to be working more effective ways of engaging our community. Council and staff have asked people to come to speak to them on their terms, expecting that everyone is able or comfortable with the location, timing, and format. We need to relook at how all community meetings are conducted so we can hear from a more diverse set of voices. Effective citizen engagement is about more than lining people up and listening to their complaints. 
It's about authentically engaging them in hands-on activities, demonstrating how their ideas and thoughts will be used, and moreover includes a follow-up with citizens. It means relaying, relaying a message that doesn't, they, always, they don't always agree with. There's nothing more frustrating, and I've been there, than a citizen voice. Um, voices a concern and they never hear back um, from, from anyone. And I've heard that again and again from people in the community. But all of us as members of the community need to be building relationships with each other based on trust and respect. Um, the connectedness to this community members has been a hallmark of my campaign. And that excites me most about serving. Our city is looking for leadership that's going to listen and follow through. And for me, working to earn the trust of this community means continuing to be out in our neighborhoods, building those relationships, and providing a conduit for their voices to be heard. I hope to bring that voice of unity and focus on community collaboration to council. Question three. Name both a revenue item and an expense item in the city budget that you are concerned about and tell us why. Um, relative to revenues, I think that the rising, while the rising assessments um, reflect the current market prices um, for property in Charlottesville, that strength is a good thing, but it comes um, with consequences for our community. And we have to be careful to ensure that our community of residents and businesses can remain diverse. Uh, in other words, when, when assessments are rising, we have to look to mitigate potential consequences by being intentional about how we're going to support affordable housing and being innovative with tax, business tax rates to ensure that all types of businesses can be supported within the city. You know, it might be an attractive measure to, to reduce a tax rate by a couple of cents, um, but when you think about it, it really has to be more, more targeted than that. Um, meeting with local business owners and stepping through the numbers has illustrated a clear need for me that we need to evaluate creative solutions to help those businesses stay in the city, to be sustainable, and to grow. We also need to take targeted approaches to addressing our most vulnerable populations of homeowners, including increasing the income levels for those who qualify for the Housing Affordability Program, which have been adjust not been adjusted since 2006 when that program was incepted, and similarly, there's been no adjustment for senior disabled tax relief programs over that same period. So relative to the tax rate itself, I would expect any incremental funding um, also be generated go to, go by real estate taxes um, to be earmarked directly towards priorities that I think we consistently hear from our community, and that includes infrastructure, affordable housing, public safety, and schools. I believe these priorities are contributors directly and indirectly to the success of our area businesses as well. Um, when we think about expenses, I want to just I'll, I'll just base it off the infrastructure. Um, I would say that's my top budget concern when it comes to expensive because these don't come at a small price. Throughout our transportations, including our streets, our sidewalks, our bike lanes and our bridges, our neighborhoods, and maybe most importantly, our schools. This is a shared priority with a broader community and feel that it's going to require funding sources well beyond our own city's budget to meet our growing needs. We, of course, need to invest in maintaining our existing infrastructure because as we allow, if we allow it to deteriorate, it will end up costing us more in the long run. I think we've seen examples of that. And as growth continues, it will continue to put strain on our street systems as well as our school system, requiring investment in new infrastructure if we are to maintain quality of life and education for citizens of all ages. I share the concern of neighborhood residents that our growth is overtaxing our existing infrastructure. We need to encourage alternate forms of transportation to build more bike trails and sidewalks if we want to reduce traffic. My daughter, like many children in our community, cannot walk to school without continuous sidewalks or without crossing a corridor where cars speed excessively. We have seen firsthand if we neglect a bridge today, it becomes a safety concern or a major, major capital investment tomorrow. But when we look at our schools, growth come, with growth comes increased school populations, and as the city retains more families. A recent study showed um, enrollment is already exceeding the functional capacity in five of our six elementary schools. 
with growth trajectories that show that by 2026, we'll have nearly 700 more students in our school system than our facilities can hold, requiring a minimum of 36 new classrooms and the needed of expansions of some of our core um, facilities. These new families mean more revenue now, so we need to start putting aside now so that we don't find ourselves fighting an uphill financing battle. As been reported um, by our like the MDO architects that the city engaged with, um, it's going to range between 85 to 150 million dollars to, to really achieve that gap that we have, and clearly that is beyond any annual budget that we can fund with the support from without the support from federal and state sources or issuing bonds. So, you know, my opinion, investments such as these cannot be done by one entity alone. It's going to take partnerships with the city and the county and must include but also go beyond our elected officials. We need to have better and more proactive communications. We must also be evaluating investing collaboratively across our region to focusing on interconnectivity and need to be both strategic and diligent in evaluating all the options for how we're going to pay for that infrastructure because, again, I do believe it's beyond our city's budget. But in my professional life, I have led the development and implementation across systems. Through cost savings and efficiencies, we were able to reinvest in those businesses, and I believe, again, we have similar opportunities to apply that kind of thinking here. If we prioritize these needs over redundant studies, for example, and partner with the county and university to unlock these external funding opportunities, we not only can envision but achieve a city where our transportation systems enable safe and accessible multimodal travel, while not burdening our secondary streets, a city where all of our children can walk to school safely or to their bus stop safely, and those same schools can have the capacity to meet the community's demands for early childhood and grade level programming. That is the city I seek and am committed to working towards achieving. Question four. If elected, what will you do to help our community move forward in the aftermath of this past summer's violent demonstrations? And how you seek to best represent and effectively serve our economically and racially diverse communities? Um, this has certainly been an emotional summer. Um, but to address this question for me, it really starts with each of us as individuals and members of this community. First, looking inward and being honest about our own implicit biases, then looking out into the community and making a conscious effort to engage and build relationships with all of our neighbors. And as leaders, we need to be pursuing proactive legal and policing measures that make it clear to white supremacists and other hate groups that we will not be their punching bag. I don't know what it's like to be targeted under a constant suspicious eye, as many minorities are. I can't imagine what it'd be like to tell my kids that police can't always be trusted. I recognize that I'm viewed differently as a white female, but I can't understand how this may have gotten me out of driving tickets or missed deadlines. But what I can do and I, what I have done is listen, to hear the pain in people's voices when they try to explain how structural racism has affected them, how's it affected their children and their communities. That's why I felt it so important to get into every neighborhood in our community, to listen to these diverse voices. It's hard to put into words how much my life has been enriched these past nine months by going into spaces I previously had never spent time engaging with that diverse and passionate population. I will continue to explore these spaces and engage with these people. I'll also invite and welcome others in my spaces and my family. I believe that everyone who wants to live in a community together has a duty to educate themselves on how structural racism and daily prejudice affect others, especially in this moment here in Charlottesville. And the way we can do that is, again, by listening to our minority communities 
and, tell, and they're trying to tell us what they experience when it comes to stop-and-frisk policies, housing and job discrimination, and the countless other things that we wish to tell ourselves are all in the past. Considering what City Council can do, it can support meaningful integration designed to make work based on best practices around integrated housing and classrooms. We can also support community building through neighborhood and community-wide events, as well as bridging the gap at our local law enforcement and the broader community while building trust and creating transparency. Council can also work with our school board to strengthen our curriculums in the history of our African-American population, both locally and nationally. We can also require bias training and retraining among all city staff, including and especially our law enforcement officers. And we also can lower the threshold at which bias complaints means a staff member will be asked to leave. I'm currently participating in the Dialogue on Race, which has been a very deep and emotional experience. In our last session, we did a large group exercise that illustrated a clear separation between the races relative to how each of us is treated in the world that we live. Looking around the room was a powerful, emotional image. I think it's important for white people, regardless of where we come from, to understand that the duty lies with us. We've been able to live the American dream in a way that our neighbors of color have not. And the history of Charlottesville has not been kind to African Americans. But based on the countless conversation that I have had to date with a variety of people, I have reason to believe there is strong alignment in our community towards unity and hope, and I want to be a conduit for further strengthening the ties. Question five. City, county, and UVA officials meet regularly to discuss issues of mutual interest as a part of the Planning and Coordination Council, or PAC. What is one specific area of, cooper of cooperation involving the university that you would like to see addressed? Uh, the time I've spent um, in our neighborhoods at the board of the university, I really think there's an opportunity for us to work more closely together to, how to see how we can minimize the effects that the growing of the university is having on our neighborhoods. Um, I view our transportation systems to be a top priority for where we could have that cooperation. As walking those streets, especially those in the immediate vicinity, um, has really raised my awareness in terms of how both from a parking perspective and the number of vehicles that are finding themselves um, in those neighborhoods um, and the traffic that's being generated from that. And I think also the housing, as we are certainly in a housing crisis in our community and the university continues to kind of encroach within our neighborhoods um, and taking a lot of that capacity is an area that we need, we need to be focused on. Um, in terms of the transportation, I mean, we have our own city's transportation system. The university has its own. I think we need to be looking at, you know, ways that we can better leverage those, those resources together in a, in, a, in a more symbiotic way. Um, I feel like personally when I've taken the cat here locally, I feel like it's not really servicing our community. Um, the day that I took it with a resident that asked me to join her, it was 30 minutes behind schedule. And when public transportation is unreliable for those who need it most, we must, we must dig deeper. And I think that we really have an opportunity to do so with the university as well as with the county. Um, uh, you know, the, the city, county, and university have shared interests. UVA is a tremendous employer for our region. There are amenities. Um, but they're, they're, I just feel like their ability to draw in high-quality students is really strengthened by having a world-class region around us, and we're aligned in that symbiotic relationship. Um, I feel like recent statements from the Planning and Coordination Council um, really emphasizes that UVA's interest in maintaining the talent of more of its graduates in Charlottesville and recognize the positive impacts that it can have on our region. But each of us should also be viewed 
as a success to the others. Sorry, each of our success should be viewed as a success of the others. And there are areas where we work together. We are numerous and serve as good examples um, how we can provide services more efficiently. And among, like I said, is transportation and, and how we address that. I believe there are additional ways for us to work together, but um, the tenor of all these relationships has to change. And I see the transition to a new university president, along with the changes in elected officials that we have for both the county and the city, as an opportunity for leadership across our region to come together with a shared vision for the future. Um, as real pro progress, I believe, is going to take a coordinated effort. So, um, again, I just I really feel that the university sometimes doesn't really recognize the impact that its growth is, is having on our, our direct community. And I just am committed that we need to be building relationships with each other to understand how it is affecting our community's quality of life. Question six. While there are many areas of city-county cooperation, such as water and sewer services, schools, the airport, and the regional jail, there's currently tensions over issues that range from bikes at the Ragged Mountain Natural Area, the subject of a lawsuit, to the future location of Albemarle's court facilities. What do you attribute this tension to, and what will you do to promote mutually beneficial relations? When I walk throughout our community, and there's been many times I'm going down the street, and the next house beyond the one I stop at is in the county. And I really shake my head to be like, how is that person's interests any different than the person who is someone who can actually possibly vote for me? And the bottom line is we are all one community, and we have to have, be focused on really kind of really recognizing that our priorities are largely shared. And I think that that can start with just really leaving our egos at the door. Um, for me, I'm certainly not coming into this with any personal agendas in terms of what I want to accomplish, but I think relationship building, not only like I mentioned within our council, but across with other elected stakeholders um, in our region is going to be important. And that again comes with trust. Um, we need to recognize that like if we if we can share some of our resources and find those efficiencies that we can actually service this community broadly and more more and more meeting the needs of our region and um, I just want to make sure I just I think that you asked about attributing attention to and what would you promote mutually beneficial relations I, I just think we all need to get real about how much our goals are aligned and how much it's really going to take building those personal relationships but also listening to our constituents um, because all, all of this friction that's happening right now is certainly not welcomed um, by the broader community. I think um, we need to kind of pull up our bootstraps and recognize that if we work better together we're going to actually be able to leverage the resources that we collectively have in a more meaningful way and make more progress um, in economic development and housing um, in workforce development. Um, I just think that for any one of us to think that we can do this on our own um, is certainly short-sighted and, and we all have shared interests. Question seven. What would you like to see change about the way city council and the city manager do business both at its meetings and outside the public eye? So as you know, and I know that's in your order, guys, city, um, Charlottesville currently operates under a city manager form of government, and you guys have shared with people in pri pri previous um, voter guides that that means that the city council is responsible for the hiring and supervising of the city manager. Um, but beyond that, all other hiring is done um, and all the day-to-day -day operations are done by the city manager. Neither the city manager or the mayor are elected, um, which makes them less accountable to citizens. The mayor as a member of council goes does go through the election process, but not to become the mayor, just to become a member of this body and every two years when a new council is seated. And at that point, the main role of that mayor is then to set the agenda. I think that 
we all need to take a hard look at how we're structured and really ask ourselves, is it really servicing our community in the best way? Because I, I see it as transparency and accountability in how our city is managed. Always a top priority of mine based on my experience, and it could not be more important now. I feel that as we have looked at, obviously, the last few months, that we really have been lacking in any accountability for anyone, and a lot of blaming has been going around. And that's not productive, and that's not answering the questions that citizens have. And as needs and concerns are brought forward to City Hall, they often go into a black box. This, is, this really can be a remedy with information technologies that will enable appropriate tracking of issues with full transparency to both staff and citizens, which provide clear, consistent communication. But changing the system is going to require a proactive, energetic, and innovative leadership, which fosters a passionate commitment to public service. Um, beyond the structure of our government making it less accountable, the city's strategic planning process, in my opinion, is ineffective. I think it really lacks accountability, and I don't think we have to go very far to get some ideas on how to make the government more effective. Albemarle County has an ongoing and active strategic planning process that emphasizes its partnership with citizens, along with its leadership, and it's based on, you know, largely on building trust um, between those constituents. The county strategic plan establishes clearer goals and timelines that respond to the community's priorities, and the highest and most immediate priorities are reflected in a two-year fiscal plan. This approach makes government more accountable, in my opinion, and more aligned with addressing the community's priorities. And again, as we look at more recent events, a lot of people, including me, were disappointed in when they, they were handled. And more than ever, we need strong leaders who are committed to taking that responsibility. We define the answers that our community seeks and work with them to solve our most complex issues. And I, I believe I'm that kind of leader, and, and I am not afraid for us to pull up my sleeves and really take a hard look at what it would take for us to possibly change the structure of how our city is, is, is managed. Question eight. What is your top transportation priority and how it will be funded? Um, thinking of it in terms of efficiency, I think the top priority for me would be um, walkability and addressing walkability. It would probably provide the best bang for our buck. Um, as I've mentioned, I walked every street in our city and meeting citizens during this campaign and was blow away at the deficits that we have in our sidewalk infrastructure. Our children don't have continuous sidewalks between their homes and their bus stops or their schools. I applaud the efforts that we have underway to specifically address our safer route to school program. We need to making this more of a broader priority in our community um, and we need to do it sooner. I, as I think about projects that we've had in our own neighborhood that have been initiated, I mean, it's, I feel like it's been like three to five years before things that we've even gotten commitment from funding for just not happening. Um, someone recently shared an article with me which highlights numerous reasons why I would say that walkability is valuable to communities, especially in the urban area like Charlottesville, and why it should be prioritized. And it's in four points. There's affordability, um, as owning car is the second largest household expense. And if more people could trade in their cars, put on their walking shoes, um, and to get to work, to go to school, and to go to, to source all their amenities, um, I really be a great way for them to be able to spend that money elsewhere. It's also around accessibility, so affordability, accessibility. When we are limited to cars, it's only limiting those that can access transportation, including the elderly, the disabled, and the children. In well-designed walkable environments, travel is more accessible to all, including those who may be bound to wheelchairs. The third piece is economic productivity. When numerous amenities are available along walkable routes, people will frequent these businesses, which is great for our economic development. It also allows this productivity to stay within our local community. And data reflects that walkable neighborhoods reflecting greater tax revenue per square foot than other types of developments that might be on the outskirts. 
The fourth and fifth are pretty obvious. So it's health. You know, no one can deny the benefits of walkable neighborhoods and, and the environment, a benefit which also ties back to health, as walking does not require any fossil fuels or create pollution. But a related re regional plan association report reflects that clear demand for walkable places. Um, data from the report states a recent survey that by the Urban Lands Institute that 50% of people said that walkability is their top or high priority where they would choose to live. I think our current funding for new sidewalks and the capital improvement plan is a little over 200000 and I don't think that doubling that is a big ask to make. Uh, and that's why I kind of think when you say transportation priority, I just this is where I think that for a relatively limited budget, we can get the best return. Um, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the major infrastructure initiatives are going to be costing tens of millions of dollars. This is something I really think we could provide our community now with relatively little investment. Um, but we need to evaluate other opportunities as well for connecting through an expanded greenway network, um, both within the city and throughout our region. But based on my time in our community, I believe this is a priority, not just of mine, um, but of the broader community. And it has a number of benefits, again, that can be done for a relatively, you know, moderate investment. Question nine. What specifically should city council do to promote employment, and what types of jobs will be your priority? So economic development, um, for me, equates to the city really catalyzing the job creation through supporting businesses, whether it be through grants, um, the ways that we consider our real estate and our zoning, um, and also private and public training partnerships that we can do. Just to explore this, I, I also put it into like kind of a, a framework of we need to first discover the issues. You know, Is there an opportunity for our city to kind of be the concierge for businesses um, and that we can be more proactive, proactive in understanding what their constraints are locally to growing and adding jobs here and work with them to remove those constraints. And so I think it really is about like building those relationships with those businesses and understanding the hurdles that exist within the city. Then we need to understand what resources there are available to us. Um, and are we as a community receiving our fair share of what might be available both at the federal level and at the state level compared to cities of similar size both nationally and in the Commonwealth? Um, and once you discover those issues and you kind of understand your resources, then you can work to find solutions to apply those resources in a using those resources in a meaningful way. And um, I think that to maximize the amount of resources that are at disposal both locally and beyond we will help us to catalyze that job creation. Um, but we need to figure out a plan for how to best apply them so that we can make it happen. I'll throw out a basic example. You know, if a constraint for a business is technical training for its employees, so for example, they can't find technicians here locally and we have a funding source we can then take that funding source and apply it for training for people locally who are looking for those jobs and address that business need. So it's kind of a win-win. It's a win for those people who are seeking the work, and it's a win for the businesses who need that, that type of employee. And we do have valuable resources to address the needs in our community, and I applaud. There's a lot of workforce development programs and their efforts to work together to provide comprehensive support for those seeking employment, not only in the city, but throughout our region. In the city, we have the Downtown Job Center. We have the Growing Opportunities Program, which we should be expanding, given they've had great success in getting residents the training they need to obtain jobs paying a self-sufficient wage. We can further support these residents with private-public partnerships, which provide job training that is industry-specific and will enable a clear career ladder for individuals as they progress over time. We have regional sources as well, including PDCC's Community Self-Sufficiency Division, which has numerous programs focused on connecting local employers with those seeking jobs through recruiting, training, and supporting individuals, as well as identifying and helping to create jobs within reach of those families striving to achieve self-reliance and positioning them to secure and excel in those jobs. 
As a city, we need to partner with these programs to ensure we are efficiently and effectively leveraging all the resources available to our community. But we also need to be attracting a highly skilled resource, workforce, whether it's technologies or pharmaceuticals, and do everything we can to highlight the benefits of locating into our city and making our city attractive to those young professionals filling those jobs. And I see that's another opportunity where we can partner with the university um, so that we can kind of have, have that track that people who are coming through the university then want to start their businesses, and we need to provide the support that they need for them to start their businesses so they can remain in Charlottesville. Question 10. Do you support the redevelopment of Charlottesville's public housing sites and Friendship Court to create vibrant mixed income and mixed use neighborhoods without the displacement of existing residents? Why or why not? I, I do support the redevelopment um, of our public housing. I think that we certainly, that a, lot of, a lot of our public housing is, is ripe for rede redevelopment um, and we're hearing that from the communities. I also you know, recognize, obviously, with the strategic investment area, this Friendship Court has, has got a lot of focus on that. And But the biggest piece of this question is around without displacement. I think that we need to be really process-driven in how, as we look to redevelop and provide better um, living conditions and, and invest in this heavily, how are we going to do it in a way that isn't going to disrupt those people that are living in those, and that we not only should be maintaining the number of of housing that supports those most vulnerable populations, but we need to be increasing the number of units that support those populations. I do feel that mixed income, mixed use neighborhoods provide a tremendous number of benefits to the broader community. Uh, we certainly are in, in need for housing at many income levels, but we must, must prioritize those at the lowest income levels and in making sure that as we do this redevelopment that it is of minimal impact to their quality of life and their transition because I believe at the end of it all we are going to have a lot of we'll see a much more positive impact for all of in our community um, but how we go about it and the timing in which it's done and the engagement that needs to happen to make people feel comfortable with the process I think is going to be critical for its success. Heather Hill, thank you for participating in this interview with Charlottesville Tomorrow.